All right, welcome back. Good to have you. Very exciting Friday here on JR Afternoon. Lions with a big win last night. We we have a lot to talk about. Um, and very excited. Presidential candidate Marion Williamson joining us in studio. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. You're going to be in, you're in town. You've got a couple events that you're going to go to. You've got what Mandy's in Highland Park. You're going to be in Royal Oak. You're going to be in Ann Arbor. Right. So you're going to be around. Absolutely. People can go to Marianne2024.com, the events page, and hopefully come out and hear me. So this is, um, you did run for president before. Yes. What are the differences between back in, you know, now almost four years ago and, and, and now? What, what are the differences that you find? I think the American people are in a different mood. And Democratic voters are in a different place, particularly. Among Democratic voters four years ago, there was almost a panic. Just how can we get rid of Donald Trump? How can we get rid of Donald Trump? With what was, what is in retrospect, a naive, we now see was a naive belief that if only we defeated Donald Trump, America would somehow go back to what it had been. Mm -hmm. Well, some cat has been let out of the bag and nothing will ever be the way it was before. So I find voters far more expansive in their listening. I think COVID put us in a deeper place in our hearts and a deeper place in our minds. And so I find a deeper listening to things that go beyond the normal formulaic transactional prescriptions that we're used to hearing from politicians. We've heard them for years and years and years, and not only have things not gotten better, things have gotten worse. But is that only because of Donald Trump? No, not at all. No, it's because of corporate greed is what it's because of. Really? We've had a last, over the last 50 years, we have had a $50 trillion massively transferred of power and wealth into the hands of 1% to 10% of our people. You know, in the 1970s, the average American worker had decent benefits mm-hmm. and could afford a house and could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one parent to stay home if they wanted to, and could afford to send their kids to college. The fact that that middle class, that thriving middle class has been so hollowed out, that is the problem. Uh, the neo-authoritarians in our midst are kind of opportunistic infections. The fact that there have been that there has been so much unnecessary human despair, that is the problem. And that has had to do with the fact that our government has been hijacked by corporate money, corporate forces. Well, I mean, there's always been some of that at play, right? Well, nothing like what has happened since Citizens United. Nothing like what has happened since the early 80s and the advent of trickle down economics. Um, The Republicans started it, but no Democrats stopped it. It's basically the idea that just making money, moving, you know, with policy after policy into a position where the rich have an easier time getting richer and everybody else having a hard, harder time just to get by. That has created an unstable situation in America. Well, something society. that we're following closely here is are these union negotiations between the United Auto Workers and the big three. Well, this is a perfect example of the workers of, of the United States uh, standing up to unf- forces of unfettered capitalism and saying no more. And I mean, even look out in, in the West Coast, in Los Angeles with the, the writer the strike, strike, the actors, you would look at Sarah Nelson, you look at Christian Smalls, Amazon, yeah. uh, the baristas at Starbucks. Wait, no. It was at UPS. There, there was a threat there. 
You know, my father in the 1930s was a union organizer for what was then the CIO here in Detroit. No kidding. Absolutely. So the first re- the response of the first Gilded Age, it was at the end of the 19th century, was the establishment of organized labor and what you're seeing now in response to the second Gilded Age. Because everything I just described to you in the last few minutes was the new Gilded Age. And this reemergence and regeneration, what you see in, in Sean um uh, Sean Fain. Fain. Yeah, yeah Fain. He's, he's a new, he's a different it's a kind. It's a different dude. Absolutely. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening in labor. And it's what's happening in politics with candidacies such as mine. How important is it? I mean, there's been polls done <laughs> recently that the American people, uh, a vast majority of them support what the unions are after. The, the problem is, I think, for the unions is there is a new world in the automobile, right? Let's just talk about the UAW. Because there is a there is a shift towards electric vehicles. Yeah. Right. Whether that's right, wrong, you like it or don't is irrelevant for this conversation. That's happening. And, you know, General Motors says they want to be all EV by 2035. That's a really lofty goal. I mean, that's what, 12 years from now? I mean, it, it's, it's really not that far. And so it, the idea here is that they're going through a lot of transition. They're going to it's going to take a lot of investment for them to get to a point where they're going to be able to build. EV batteries at a high scale enough for people to want to buy them. Meanwhile, the, the UAW is asking for more than they a- ever have asked for. I mean, these are really transformational types of asks. And and I think the worry here is not only does this lead to a strike, where it, to me, if you read between the tea leaves, it looks like it's going that way. But but even more so, wh- where does that leave us? Where does that leave these companies that employ a lot of people? that are making this transformational change when now the asking price is so high. Well, I'm not playing a violin or crying boohoo tears for these multi-billion dollar companies. So when you say, oh, it's going to cost them so much money. Yes, it is. Sure. But the, what what is happening? But then doesn't you talked <clears throat> about trickle down and I know this is different, but doesn't that in turn make the products more expensive and doesn't the customer bear that? That price? No. The idea of trickle-down, of course, was that if we only made it easier for the CEO sure. and stockholder class, that, that they would be job creators, and that money would trickle down right. and lift all boats. This is uh, clearly, uh, the jury is in after 40 years. It, it left millions of people without even a life vest because their job, uh, their, their business model is not job creation. It's job elimination and worker exploitation. So as we make this transition, not only with automobiles and transportation, but with everything from dirty energy to clean energy, everything in between, we are going to have to let go a model which says that short-term profits for huge corporate entities, no matter what is the bottom line, even at the expense of the health, the safety, and the well-being of the American people. It's not working. It's leaving too many people in desperate situations. And the worker of the United States, including the UAW auto worker, deserves better and deserves more. Let me ask you this. Marion Williamson joins us running for president. (laughs) Um, When you start thinking about um, whether it's, uh, the the age of candidates or um, the, the 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 situation that we find ourselves in in our politics is so divisive. How do we how do we bring this together? How, how, I, I, we've heard politicians, we've heard our own governors talk about working across the aisle. We don't see a lot of that here. How do the president has said it? He will work across the aisle. We see less of that than he promised. How do we how do we bring people together? How do we find because most Americans, I think, want that. Most Americans reside in the middle. I think most Americans are decent people. 
and even line like we're more divided than ever. If you actually talk to the person next to you and don't make it just the person who agrees with you politically, Mm -hmm. make it even more importantly these days with the person who doesn't agree with you politically. Sure. But you you enter into the conversation with respect. You know, Martin Luther King said you have very little morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt. On both the left and the right, there is this smugness, this arrogance, this projection onto others that because you don't agree with me politically, you're not a good person. You don't have moral values. All of us need to just shut that stuff out of our hearts on both the left and the right and enter conversations less um, uh, less focused on getting our point across and more focused on listening to what other people have to say. Nobody has a monopoly on truth and no group gets to own this country. We all own it. You know, um, President Eisenhower said the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. Mm-hmm. There are high minded liberal values. And there are high-minded conservative sure. values, and all of us need to keep this in mind. At the at at, at we we operate best not when those things are oppositional, mm-hmm. not when they're av- adversarial. So much as when they're complementary. Sure. But if we're so trying to protect the power of our side or the power of our party, then we're not entering into a creative situation where the yin and the yang makes everybody better because the the truth outs. And so we all have to take personal responsibility as well as to recognize that there is so much money and power to be made by political parties as well as mainstream media in keeping up the oppositional context. Can you hang tight with me? Got to take a break. Lots more questions for Marianne Williamson next here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Good to have you. Marianne Williamson joins us. Hey, Robert F. Kennedy on Fox News. Do you, do you feel like you guys are getting a fair shake? No, of course we're not getting a fair Why? shake. Why? Because the DNC has simply decided that Joe Biden is the um, is the next can is the candidate, and there will be no questions and there will be no debates. And is that a mistake? Don't like it. Of course, it's a mistake. The role of the um, political party is to stand back until the electorate has made these decisions. It should be the voters who decide who should be the candidates, not the DNC. The DNC is supposed to stand back. Then once the voters have made their decision, the um, the uh, party is supposed to come forward and uh, support the candidate. But what's happening now? But the DNC isn't uh, CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. What you why, why aren't you getting invites to these places? Because they why have, are you? Why, why am I inviting you and nobody else's? Darling, they're all part of the same cabal. It's a political media industrial complex. So you have Fox News. So which, you're telling me everybody's just out to make money? Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> shocking. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? So the uh, Fox News, you know, pretty much... You know, aligns itself with yeah. the Republican Party. MSNBC aligns itself with DNC talking points. You could look at my my numbers in the polls, and then you look at the numbers of several uh, GOP uh, candidates who are far lower than mine, and they're on Meet the Press every week. They're on MSNBC. They have CNN town halls. So, so what are they afraid of? They're afraid of both of us. They're afraid of Bobby Kennedy, and they're afraid of me. You and I have on right now, um, you have on Fox here, and there's a clip that they're showing right now of Anna Navarro on the on the um, View uh-huh. yesterday. And that clip has become viral because she says that there is no uh, there is no race on the Democratic side. There is no primary. Well, that's that's as much of a lie as when Sean Spicer uh, said after Trump's inauguration that on the mall there was the biggest crowd that had ever been gathered. So everybody could see the pictures. Everybody could see the photographs. It was clear that Obama well, had call more people. Whoopi and say this. That's not true. 
But the point is, that's what Fox News is pointing out right now. It's not true what Anna Navarro said. But Anna Navarro knew what she said was not true. And the other women at the table knew what she said was not true. They are simply chopping wood and carrying water for the political elite at the DNC. And people are noticing it. It's not just Fox. I mean, look, Fox wants to mess up, you know. The well, Biden I mean, look, seat. everybody's got an agenda, but, I believe. Yes, but many Democrats are seeing that and aren't happy with it either. It's wrong. So Robert Kennedy is on talking about it. I've been on talking about it. I'm talking about it with you right now. Well, he he was in hearings on Capitol. He testified that said he was being censored. Well, that, it, he, that he was being disenfranchised. Well, so am I. And what they do to peripheralize, it's, it's an invisibilization process with me. I've heard this. How I about heard, this? There you go. There it is on Fox News. Democrats and Dem-leaning independents who the party should nominate in 2024, 33% according to this CNN uh, poll, Joe Biden, 33%. What was it? 68% another candidate. You would be another candidate. That's right. And also, sometimes when they talk about it now, they'll say, uh, Biden should debate Robert F. Kennedy and whomever else runs as though I don't exist. And I do exist. And, you know, they act sort of like who let you in the room. The answer, of course, is James Madison let me in the room with a little bit of help from Susan B. Anthony. Mm-hmm. So this is a democracy. Do you think it's a gender thing? Well, I think that uh, I, I think it's less a gender thing and more you're not part of our club think they have their their idea of who is qualified. I don't understand. Why are you not a part of the club? Well, because, first of all, you I don't have you're more a part of their club than you are the RNC's club. I don't have a pro corporatist position. I am calling the corporatist wing of the Democratic Party on its uh, betrayal of the traditional values of the Democratic Party. The traditional values of the Democratic Party mean unequivocal, unabashed advocacy for the working people of the United States. And ever since the 90s, there's been a split in the Democratic Party. So the corporatists, those who uh, continue to pass policies that put short-term profit maximization for huge corporate entities before the health well-being of the American people, i.e. why we don't have universal health care like they do in every other advanced democracy because of the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Why do we have over a million people rationing insulin, which doesn't happen in any other advanced democracy, because of the greed of the pharmaceutical companies and these people are their corporate donors. Now, they would have you believe that progressives such as myself are trying to hijack the party. The truth is they hijacked the party. So they see someone like Robert Kennedy, someone like myself. And listen, I have a very different agenda than Bobby Kennedy, too. I don't agree with Bobby Kennedy on most things. That's not the point. The point is that you should not have to be sanctioned by the DNC to uh, to have a chance for the American people to hear you. And to hear what your agenda is and what you would do with the levers of power if they were placed in your hands. I have a lot of questions for you. Um, and I know your time is very <laughs> valuable. And I, 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 Nancy Pelosi said she's going to run again. She's 83 years old. This would be her 20th term in the House. We've seen the, 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 the shocking situation with Mitch McConnell. We've seen Dianne Feinstein not be able to say I. We, we are in a situation, and, and heck, the president has had issues, okay? Whether there's anything technically wrong, diagnosed wrong, there are issues that we all can see. Do you believe there should be an age cap? Because John James, the congressman from Michigan, even just introduced a legislation that would put a cap at 77 or 75 years old, I believe. 75. I don't know about an age cap, but term limits are now reasonable. Because incumbents- I mean, we can't have this. 
Pardon? We can't have this. No, we cannot have this, and yet we do have this, and we will continue to have this as long as we continue to vote for status quo politicians. It's time for the American people to intervene, people who are not part of that system. That's the problem I have with Nancy, not her age, but the fact that she is the system, the fact that she has become a purveyor of the same corporate-backed uh, situation which has uh, taken this country to six inches from the cliff. There are several investigations going on now between the former president and the current president. <clears throat> what do you make of of these investigations? Do you think that these these investigations against, say, Donald Trump, you said the <clears throat> the, the attacks on Donald Trump by Democrats were were simply a, a, a part of the problem. But in reality, there's a bigger issue here. Is there is there a situation where where Donald Trump is right when he says these are political hit jobs and this is all political? Or do you think, you know, the, these are legitimate investigations and he did something wrong? Here? Of course, they are legitimate investigations. We had a special prosecutor. Jack Smith is a special prosecutor. Neither Merrick Garland nor Joe Biden told him what to do. He chose prosecution. He, he chose indictment. And, and there was a grand jury which agreed with him about that. There's also a special prosecutor for Joe Biden. And there will be a special prosecutor now for Hunter Biden. It's important that we recognize a, a separation between the judicial system and politics. And at a time like this, we need to place our faith appropriately in in such things as our judiciary. So, no, this was not uh, these were not, you know, Jack, Jack Smith was not taking some phone call from Joe Biden and being told what to do or Merrick Garland. That's the whole point of having but like, a for example, this, this situation with David Weiss, the special uh, the, the U.S. attorney out of Delaware. You know, now we're getting word that he's <laughs> going to charge Hunter on this gun charge that he was essentially going to do away with after two misdemeanor charges on tax evasion. I mean, the the issues here, I think that people see, and and I think there are people on both sides of the aisle that see there is there is a there is something happening where we are not holding people accountable according to the law. But the, we are holding uh, um, um, Donald Trump accountable according to the but law. But are we holding Hunter Biden accountable? Well, that's what we're in process of seeing right now. That's why there is a, a special prosecutor, and we will see. There's there's I mean, with the deal that they had tried to make for him fell apart when a judge said, no, we're not going there. So I think we have enough reason right now to trust the system and, and, and what, what all of us should be hoping for. All of us, no matter what our politics, we should be hoping that the judicial system is fair and that Donald Trump have a fair trial. That's my hope. Just I want that he will be he will be tried by a jury of his peers. And that's what we should all be hoping for. You know, I'm old enough to remember Watergate. It was too big and important an issue to be a partisan issue. This should not be about partisanship when something this important is happening. Can I ask you to hold on one more time? Sure. I want to talk some policy next. Okay. Get your ideas out on a couple big issues that I think people are talking about at the dinner table. Sure. Marianne Williamson joins us running for president, and she's in town. She'll be at a couple events in Highland Park, Royal Oak, and Ann Arbor. We'll take a break, get to uh, more of Marianne Williamson next here on WJR. Marianne Williamson with us. I appreciate your time. Appreciate being here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, there is, um, I, I think it's important whether people agree with you or not, um, you being any candidate, I think it's important that people hear your stance on issues, because if you're going to be the, the leader of the free world, if you're going to lead our country, I think people should know what you believe. And, hey. and there's a number of issues that I think people talk about that are important to them, whether it's education, the economy, obviously inflation, the cost of things are out of control. So. So talk to me a little bit about your your plan 
on on the economy because th- there are there are a lot of different ways to attack it. A lot of people believe different things, but but how do you how do you view our our current situation, and then how do you improve it? Our current situation is a symptom. It is not a cause. It is a symptom of the fact that over forty years ago, this trickle down economic paradigm was adopted uh, within the halls of government, and so what happened was we began to pass policy after policy that put all of the resources and the um, uh, the ease of operation into the hands of CEO and stockholder class, but at the expense of other stakeholders in a corporation, at the expense of workers, at the expense of the community, at the expense of the environment. And what has happened is that now you have uh, a, a, a huge, gargantuan amount of wealth and power in the hands of a tiny group of Americans. We have hollowed out, as I said before, our middle class. This has left the majority of people living paycheck to paycheck, the majority of people uh, reporting that they live with constant economic stress, the majority of people unable to afford um, uh, the expenditure of an unexpected $400 um, that they owe. So what we need, I believe, is a massive infusion of economic hope and opportunity into the life of the average American. We need an economic U-turn. That is to be distinguished from just the alleviation of people's stress. We need fundamental economic reform. In order to achieve that, I have a 21st century economic bill of rights. Within the economic bill of rights is the right to universal health care, which every other uh, advanced democracy has. We have one in four Americans who live with medical debt, 18 million Americans who cannot afford to pay for the prescriptions that their doctors give them, 85 million Americans underinsured or uninsured, and 68,000 Americans who die every year from lack of health care. My Bill of Rights also includes tuition-free college and tech school, which we had in this country until the 1970s and which is available to the citizens of every other advanced democracy. We need to cancel those college loan debts, those 44 million kids and uh, kids and not just kids. Why? Because those debts, those loans should never have even existed. This was just the tentacles of an unfettered form of malevolent form of capitalism, which looks to make a profit center wherever it possibly can, regardless of any other moral or ethical consideration. We need free child care. We need paid family leave. We need guaranteed sick pay, we need guaranteed housing, and we need a guaranteed living wage. So I have two kids, five and one and a half. So I sympathize with people. And, and look, we're, we're, I'm blessed enough that we, we do okay and we can get our, our kids looked after. So I'm sympathetic for people that can't, do, that, that can't get that service. I think there are a lot of people that are probably listening to this going, well, these are a lot of social programs. Mm-hmm. These are a lot of this is a lot of money you're talking about mm-hmm. here. Where does that come from? Where do we get that money to pay for? Well, right now, all like, that like the president throws out this number that the top 40 percent the, the top four, the largest 40 companies don't pay taxes. And if you tax them 100 percent, it would be 40 billion dollars. That's not enough to to. To, to scratch a dog's back. You, there is there is so much money needed for these programs. Where does it come from? To, in 2017, they passed a $2 trillion tax cut. 
where 83 cents of every dollar went to the highest earners and uh, richest corporations. You repeal that tax cut, although you put back in the middle class tax cuts. You stop giving multi-billion dollar subsidies to corporations that are already making billions and billions of dollars. You say to people, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars as a matter of fact, you say to people who have um, assets of $15 million, we would like 2% additional please that will not affect your day. And if you have a billion dollars in assets, we'd like an additional 1%. That not only won't affect your day, it won't affect the day of your children or your grandchildren or your grandchildren's grandchildren. Then you say to the uh, Defense Department, well, guys, apparently 60 Minutes is doing a better job of oversight than the U.S. Corporation, than the U.S. Congress is. And what is now well established is the gargantuan bloat, the fact that defense contractors such as Northrop Grumman and Boeing and Raytheon basically use you, the Pentagon, as their piggy bank. That's going to stop. Many conservative voices say we could cut 10 percent from our military spending. I say we could spend, we could cut 20 percent. And this would not. Would you do this for all budgets? No, not because I think there's fat in all these budgets. Well, there's fat in all these budgets, but nothing. Maybe not 20 percent established on on the level of defense. Now, you do the things that I just talked about. Plus, you allow, yes, something that Biden did try to do and the Republicans didn't let him uh, after the 2022 election, which you do have the IRS agent so that these extraordinary loopholes, these tax cheats among the very, very richest among us, we could bring in over the over the years trillions of dollars. We need to stop with that. And by the way, you and I were talking earlier about the about the drug war. Um, we've spent a trillion dollars on the drug war since it's you would do inception. away with it. Well, at this point, it has done more to to harm than to heal. We need to move drugs away from a criminal issue, turn it into a health issue. Uh, countries such as Portugal have done that. If you look at the hundred billion dollars that we spend every year on the drug war, for a fraction of that, you could build a strong network of recovery. Um, so that people could actually begin their lives again. This would also, you, you have almost half of your uh, federal prisoners are nonviolent drug offenders. So there are so many ways that by moving in a more humanitarian direction, no longer allowing soulless sociopathic economic principles, but rather return to democratic and humanitarian principles to govern your public policy so that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people will be on this earth again. Right now it's perishing. We're a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. You talk about cushy socialism, it's that old line. We have cushy socialism for the very, very rich. We have policy after policy that makes it easier for those who already have capital to accumulate more and harder for everybody else to even make it. I got a couple more questions for you. I want to rapid fire because we only have a couple more minutes. Would you continue to send aid to Ukraine at the level that we are now? Well, I want to point out what that level is. It's one-tenth. It's roughly one-tenth of our yearly uh, of our yearly budget. I, f- I refuse to be put into a position that lacks nuance regarding foreign policy. Sometimes people talk about Ukraine as though this is simply about Russia, Ukraine, and the United States. This is also about the continent of Europe. We cannot see this in isolation from Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Finland, Sweden. So just removing all aid to Ukraine right now is not a pro-peace position. It would be a horror what would then happen. What I want to do is for the United States to vigorously participate in a multipolar, obviously what would have to be a global effort to, to, to force a negotiation here. But the idea that if only we stop immediately um, that that would somehow solve the problem is simply not the case. You talked a little bit about student loans. You talked a little bit about free education and, and even child care, all of those things. 
here in Michigan, we've had an issue of our third grade le- reading level is is not good. And it's at a level where it, there was a situation where third graders were being held back. That law uh, has been basically taken away. A law was changed. So so now kids aren't being held back in third grade. And I think kids learn differently at different paces. But education continues to be a huge issue in this country. How do you tackle the fact that we are not number one in that very important category well, in, on the world stage. Well, let's be honest with ourselves. Um, advantage, financially advantaged white children are absolutely on par with children in other countries. We are the only country where there is so much of our of our um, uh, education is paid for by property taxes. So what you have in this country of millions of children, and no, they do not live in your privileged communities, who are not, whose schools do not have the resources to teach them how to read by the age of 8 or 10. If a child has not learned to read by the age of 8 or 10, their chances of high school graduation are lower than their chances of incarceration. For me, as, as president, I would make uh, a 10-year goal that every public school in America is a palace of culture and reading and the arts and, and learning. Um, in order for this to happen, however, we need to take a far more holistic view of early childhood in America, period. I've had uh, principals at elementary schools uh, tell me that they have elementary school students on suicide watch. We have children in this country who are traumatized uh, before before the before preschool. So we can't just talk about education. We have to talk about how many American children have to walk through domestic war zones in order to get to school. That's why I want a Department of Children and Youth. And every our commitment must be that every school is world class education, no matter who the child is and how rich their parents. Where do are people find out more about you? At Marianne2024.com. And I will be I will be here in Highland Park and Royal Oak and Ann Arbor and uh, in the months ahead. I mean, Michigan is an early primary. Are you coming back? I sure am. I'll be here every okay. month at least once. Absolutely. I hope uh, people come down and uh, support the campaign and help me win Michigan. I hope to see you on a debate day, a stage sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you. My mother would say your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> thank you so much. Marion Williamson, thank you so much for stopping by. Appreciate it. Thank you. Got to take a break. More coming up next.